Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey guys, welcome to the studio today. I am joined here with my co-host Morgan. Hey everyone. And Stephen. Hello. And we have a special guest with us today, Mr. Harold Vaughn. Greetings. Hey guys, we're glad to have you with us for the full discussion today as we talk about the need for revival. We hope you join us for the full discussion. Guys, well, it is a great privilege to have Brother Harold Vaughn with us this morning for the podcast. And uh, Harold, you are probably not a real new name to some of our listeners, but to people who may not know who you are or what you do, could you just give us a little bit of a introduction this morning? Well, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm what they used to call an evangelist, which means I'm not a pastor. I don't have a church, but I travel to churches and speak in churches. And I would be more of a revival emphasis guy than an evangelist soul winning guy. So everybody has a special ministry. I believe there's some evangelist who can preach a revival message, and then there's some revivalist who can preach an evangelistic message. Mm. And I would put myself as one who has a burden for both, but really a burden for revival. Right. And so when you say revival, you're talking about to revive the church. Yes, uh, we're talking about getting back to normal. A New Testament normalcy is to be filled with the Spirit of God, and that is a state of perennial revival. That's good. That's good. So you've been in itinerant ministry a good while, right? 41 years. I guess that's <laughs> wow. a pretty good while. Oh, I'd say that's a uh, I'd nail the rug down on that one. <laughs> That's a pretty solid time there. Yeah, and so for those who don't know this either, uh, this is Stephen's father actually today. Yes. So Stephen's talked a lot on the podcast in the past about growing up on the road. Yep. And so it's good actually to have Harold with us this morning and uh, talk about it that way. So I guess any any thoughts before we jump in this morning to the actual discussion? Well, I did have one question. Um Dad, you mentioned that you um, travel around some, but can you speak a little bit to the prayer conferences that you hold and how that plays into your heart for revival and so on? Yes, I believe uh, the most effective thing we're doing are what we call prayer advances, not prayer retreats. Uh, we believe we backed up long enough. It's time to start heading forward. So we call it <laughs> prayer <laughs> advances. Good. We want to make uh, progress rather than regress. And uh, the prayer advance is um, a heightened time of uh, spiritual emphasis. It's uh, very intense. The the preaching is direct. Uh, The worship is uh, uh, heartfelt. The fellowship is incredible. Uh, The adrenaline is overwhelming, so you don't sleep a whole lot, but (laughs) but it's a time to encounter God, and that's the whole purpose of these advances. We have them for men, uh, women, uh, students, and couples. So uh, we've done as many as five or six, maybe six or seven, some years. Uh, Next year, we have six of these scheduled. Oh, wow. Now, is that on the East Coast or all over the United States? I mean, where is those? Well, I take that back. We have seven scheduled. Okay. Um, Well, there's the Colorado Prayer Advance, which we no longer sponsor. I just participate. But the others are currently East Coast. We have uh, men's and women's in Virginia, Roanoke. Uh, then we have uh, 
two new ones, men's and women's, in North Carolina next year. Mm. And then we have a couple's in uh, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, this fall, in our student prayer advance. Everybody ought to come to the student prayer advance in, at Ferrum College in Ferrum, Virginia, this summer, July 22 through 24. Okay, okay. So w- with you having been on the road now over 41 years, I mean, I'd say, was that pretty much right out of, was it high school or college when college. God called you into, so, so talk a little bit of that, your background of how God actually called you into that ministry? Yeah, well, I grew up in uh, Southside, Virginia, in a liberal church where we never heard the gospel, but you got sprinkled when you turned 10 and got confirmed, and which was nothing. I knew the Ten Commandments, but I didn't know the gospel mm-hmm. until I went to a Christian movie. I was 14 or 15, and I heard that Christ had died for my sins, which was new to me. And uh, boy, I knew I was a sinner, so I, I, I responded to the invitation to receive Christ. And that was the beginning. I went off to Bible college, which um, I didn't even know there was a Bible college because I had no background whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in Virginia, and people say this is the Bible belt. It is not. It's a church belt. There's wow. no Bible belt in the United States. Uh, we got churches. You stand on the steps of one and spit on the steps of another, but that's not a Bible belt. It's a church belt. And people in the South, in my, to my estimation, don't go to church to encounter God. They go out of family, cultural, or societal obligations mm. more so than to meet with the living God. So that's kind of the way uh, I grew up. And then when I went to Bible college at Liberty Baptist College, which was red hot uh, in the day, 75 to 79, uh, I would travel on every weekend because I got tired of sitting around. So I would travel <laughs> and go to churches. We would witness and preach. and So I did this for three summers and all during the school year. So when we, Debbie and I graduated, uh, I already had a, it, it been preached in hundreds of churches, um, at least a couple hundred for sure, maybe more, I don't know. But um, that's what I felt like I ought to do. Wow. So we just launched out, sure. not knowing whither, and here we are. Still at it. Still 41 years later, Still staying faithful to the call that God gave you. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. So when I think about, though, your itinerary ministry and all the places that you've been, I mean, you have really traveled quite a bit around the country, um, and you, you do so preaching in different churches and in different contexts and with you know so many different types of backgrounds. And I guess you know having you on the podcast today and having thought about just all the experiences you've been given – how would you diagnose the climate of the church in America today? Desperate. 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 So you, when you talk about the church, I don't think that's a good way to put it, because a half of the churches and denominations, in my estimation, are apostate, which means they have rejected the Bible as the Word of God. They've rejected the ex- exclusivity of Christ as the only way of salvation. Mm. So you can, these are called what we call liberal churches. They're just, um, uh, le- they're, they're, I don't even believe they're churches. They're apostate churches. And the Bible talks about the falling away, that in the latter times there would be a great falling away. So you got right. that category. Right. Then you got the crowd that would say, oh, no, we believe the Bible is the authority for life and service, and we believe in blood atonement, and we believe that uh, God exists, and we believe these things. So you have that church, and within that, there's great diversity. So you have doctrinal uh, diversity, as we all know, from one end to the other. So I, I, would, I would say this, that in 1905, R.A. Torrey came up with the five fundamentals, which was just 
you know, inspiration of Scripture, salvation by grace. Christ is the only way of salvation. And within that category of people who would be real Christians, uh, in my estimation, um, the thing that strikes me is the absolute lack of hunger. The oh. lack of hunger or the, the, the small amount of hunger, it seems to me. I thought when COVID hit, this is it. We're going to have the third great awakening, man. Churches are going to repent. We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to get broken in the presence of God. We're going to deal with sin in the camp. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God, unlike anything we've ever seen. And uh, obviously, I'm not a prophet because that didn't happen. Hmm. And uh, there was no call to repentance uh, from any national Christian leader. They call us to pray. But what does that mean? Right. I, I, and, and, you know, I don't know what your audience is, but uh, get with the Mormons and Our Lady of the Valley is not my idea of a prayer meeting, okay? And, and, and there's some nebulous uh, mush god that uh, a great majority of American evangelicals seem to think is the real god. But I think we better define who God is, and we need our theology proper before we get into uh, anything else. That's so, good. No, that's really good. That's so really good. as you travel around then, and you mentioned the churches that you're in, um, talking about like the spiritual climate of those churches, how do you measure the spiritual climate of a church? Obviously, yeah, they need to believe the right things, but I mean, after doing it for 41 years, you probably can walk into a church and get a kind of a vibe of where the spiritual climate is. What are some things like from scripture that you're looking at to say, that's how you can measure the spiritual climate of a church, maybe even a church that some of our listeners are in, if they're kind of asking that question about their church. Well, yeah, when you go into a congregation as an itinerant speaker, you, you have to learn to read the lay of the land. Sure. And you sense, you can sense that by the uh, preparation of the soil before the uh, special meetings. That's one way. The receptivity of the people during the meetings. Mm. Uh, you can tell by how many books they buy at the book table as to the spiritual hunger level. And I'm not insinuating there is no spiritual hunger. I'm just saying as a whole, I believe spiritual hunger is at an all-time low in the Bible preaching church. Right. In the prayer advances when we came together 25, 30 years ago, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books and the guys would go out with a stack 20 inches tall because they had met God and they were hungry. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, if they go out with three or four, that's an accomplishment. So I think you can tell by what people are reading or if they are reading is a, a measure of uh, spiritual hunger. And, and, and as far as reading the lay of the land, you know, uh, it, it, what we're looking for here is life. Uh, I mean, theology is greatly important, but it's truth and life. Uh, we we got to have grace and truth. we got to have the life of God, and, and the life of God means uh, there's spiritual births are taking place. People are being born again. If you go into church, so there's new life. Yeah, they hadn't baptized anybody or seen anybody saved in a year or two. It's a dead church, period. Uh, no way to dress this up. No way to uh, <laughs> make this uh, look better than what it is from where I'm sitting. Mm. And, Morgan? And I was just going to ask you, um, the other day I was listening to a podcast, and the person who was speaking said there's something like 30,000 denominations in the evangelical church in, in our country. And you talked about that small hunger and like the lack of life that we're seeing in churches. Do you think that that has something to do with the lack of unity and the lack of like a united foundation of the church anymore? No. 
doctrine doesn't unite. Doctrine divides before mm. it unites. So I think that when you Ex- have— Explain that a little bit there. Well, doctrine divides. Uh, either you believe that Christ is the only way of salvation or you don't. Sure. You either believe that Christ's blood paid our sin debt or you don't. Sure. You either believe that God inspired the Bible or you don't. Right. There's no gray areas here. So I think this whole push for unity, uh, and I'm for unity of the true people of God of every stripe. Let me just say that strongly here, that uh, I go to all kinds of places, and and if they're born again, love Jesus, and uh, you know, got those five or six, seven non-negotiables down, I'm at home with them. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that, and I think that's the, maybe the unity you're talking about. Sure. Mm-hmm. But there's universal unity, this myth. Oh, we just need to get together, and and and, and we tried that in the '60s. We 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 tried we tried that in the '70s. Okay, we we tried this. And this whole mass ecumenical movement, you know, to where no matter what they believe, we're all in the we're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children unless you're born again. You're a child of the devil, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know this is probably strong for your podcast, but no, sir, but, lay it um, on but, us. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I think. So, so I think that unity among the true people of God is absolutely imperative and important. They were in one accord in the New Testament. Look at the book of Acts for crying out loud. They were they have one heart and one soul, uh, but that was not a societal thing. That was not a cultural thing. That was not a racial thing. That was not a linguistic thing. That was a, a spiritual phenomenon of supernatural unity among incredible uh, diversity of cultures of people, Greeks, Scythians, barbarians, Jews, Gentiles, the whole crowd was in there, and the only thing they had a common was they had been born of the spirit of god right, right, if right. that's the unity we're talking about sure I, i'm all I, I, yes but if we're talking about this global massive we just gotta lay down everything we believe and compromise uh, every uh, thing for the sake of unity no i don't i don't believe that so um so speaking to that then um there is a good unity to seek and there is a bad unity yeah uh but what as we look, yes, the modern big C church um, has its um, has its work to do uh, to to have this spiritual climate across the board in America. But where did the church kind of go wrong when you call when you look at like the big C church in America? Like, was it ever on fire for the Lord? Has it always been dead, or is like? Is well, there something more here? Like, right. is this a modern phenomenon that's just happened recently? And, or is it yeah. like always been dead? Yeah. And I would just add to that. Prior to that, when we're talking about the great need in America today, would you say that that is primarily one of revival or one of awakening? Because I think there's a lot of just misconceptions in people's mind when they hear that word revival, right? So could you speak to that a little bit? Like, is there a difference between revival and awakening because i think that that leads i think into steven's question um yeah so maybe like if we could get definitions and then we'll jump back to my question yeah but um like a definition how would you define the difference between awakening and revival yes well awakening is when masses of lost souls are swept into the kingdom of god and are converted born again Um, My understanding of awakening, that happened in 1839 with a great prayer revival. Two million people got born again. There were no crusades. There were no preachers. There was a prayer emphasis that was overwhelming. One guy traveled from New York City to um, Seattle and said the whole nation's a prayer meeting. 
And in Portland, Oregon, believe it or not, uh, the department stores would shut down for two hours a day so the employees could pray. I mean, just think about this. Wow. Now we can get church people to pray, but the, the businesses were having <laughs> prayer meetings, and this happened in New York City. So wow. that, was, that was an awakening. Right, right. So I would understand that revival is the um, bringing back to life of something that has grown cold. Sure, something and, that had life yes, at one time. So it's revive, sure. the prefix. Sure. It's, uh, you know, to, to, again, life, life again. That's what revive so, means. So that, I think that yeah. leads into Stephen's question then. So specifically, of revival because I think that's what you're saying right yeah, yeah. within so the churches with that as the backdrop then where did the church kind of go wrong and and we can't speak to all cultures like across the war, world but our culture where did the church go wrong then if these revivals and awakenings have happened where did the church kind of get off track then to be in a state of coldness kind of in many churches today well there's never been a, a perfect on fire, continual situation. However, I would say 120 years ago, all the churches were uh, true to the basic doctrines of the faith. Then came the fundamentalist uh, controversy where their liberalism came in. Machen with the Presbyterians and other key people uh, came in. Evolution came in. Science came in. Uh, so people began to bend the Bible to accommodate the culture and, and, to, and, and to accommodate quote, so-called science. So there was a breakdown. So there was the conservative element of the church, uh, and then evangelicalism uh, developed a uh, what I believe to be a severely compromised uh, version of uh, diluted faith, where there was an admixture of uh, dirt with the silver and you know water with the wine, and it was a diluted situation where they toned down the truth, and they began to accommodate my understanding is begin to accommodate uh, culture and, and things rather than taking a bold stand and being controversial. We can't offend anybody, so we have to, you know, got to love everybody, you know. So this kind of thing, and I think there was a tremendous breakdown is where we lost out. So the liberal churches. Uh, you know, there's no glory of God uh, in these places unless God miraculously just pours out mercy. Uh, in, in the conservative element, the conservative evangelical uh, group of which, you know, we, we would go with this, um, where, well, what happened? I think, I think uh, imbalanced preaching, hmm. imbalanced hmm. preaching. I mean, you know, the whole idea is uh, there's a God, there's eternity, there's heaven and hell, and you know, the, the hellfire preaching went out of style a long time ago, and dogmatic preaching, or what I would call prophetic preaching, and prophetic preaching simply means you're speaking as the oracle of God. You're speaking the truth of God as it is to people as they are. You're, not in a, you're intersecting the culture. You're not paralleling the culture. You're okay, I'm okay. You're LBGT or whatever, and, and hey, yeah, you can be a child of God. No, well, let's go with what the Word of God says, and the Word of God is very controversial in today's culture. I don't have to tell you that. Sure. It's very controversial in, in most churches today because people are ashamed. <laughs> and I think if you, I really think, Stephen, if you divorce uh, the moral aspect of the character of God and the law of God from the gospel, you have no gospel. Because how in the world can you preach um, salvation without addressing the issue of sin? And what is sin? It's coming short of the glory of God. It's coming short of God's uh, uh, perfections. It, it's sin 
and, and failed to address moral issues biblically has landed us in this quagmire. So churches yeah. today, what we're, we're, we've, we've abandoned every. We pretty much um, mock the culture. If there's fifty percent divorce in the culture, there's fifty percent in the church. If there's a whatever infidelity in the world, it's the same thing in the church. Well, what is this? This is a compromised situation. And, and before there be any move of God, I believe there needs to be some. Uh, repentance preaching okay so yeah as as we bring that up then that's a great transition and segue from talking about the climate of the church to what are the ingredients for revival and maybe we could speak to this on a individual level and a church level because i know i personally believe i can't speak for everybody at the table but i personally believe that there is a personal refreshing and reviving and restoration um, that can happen, but there's also a corporate uh, reviving and restoration that can happen, a returning to uh, this freshness. Um, I think of, um, I, when I think of personal revival, I always think of like Psalm 51 and how David returned again to the way that he should be on, and he cleansed himself, and he said, renew in me this right spirit, put back into me this joy of your salvation, you know, give again this fresh life. So maybe let's start with personal revival, and then we can get into the corporate side with church. But like, what are some ingredients for someone who is seeking after this personal refreshing in their spiritual life? Well, humility, hunger, honesty. Um, pride is a great sin. It's uh, it's behind just about every other sin. I think it's a root sin. It's a mother sin, and this whole uh, it's a blinding sin. So I think uh, humility to, to, to be able to honestly say, hey, listen, my heart is cold or, man, I'm lukewarm or I have no burden for lost people or I'm preoccupied with the world and myself. Humility, humility, and then honesty. And honesty, you know, like the guy said, that revival is um, taking the witness stand against yourself. And agreeing with God. Uh, Mel Johnson said, revival is God pointing his finger right at me. And when, when in a revival atmosphere, I know we're on personal revival, but in a revival atmosphere, the presence of God is so manifest and so thick that there's this contrast of, of this total otherness of God, uh, the holiness of God, the, the overwhelming majesty of God with the junk that's going on in my soul. So I think there comes this recognition. So there's this humility. Oh, God, I'm in trouble, Lord. I've grown cold. I've lost my way. I'm preoccupied with the world. I don't even think about eternity anymore. You know, and, and we go through seasons in our Christian life. So I think humility, honesty, and hunger. And if a person has a hunger, then I believe God's going to send somebody along to, hmm. to and they'll, they'll, they'll seek out. They'll, they will seek out fellowship. They will seek out preaching. Uh, they're just on, uh, I don't know if this is the right time or not, but there are uh, prayer movements going on in America where people are seeking God and repenting, which we'll get to later, I'm sure. Yes, sir. No, no, no. But, but I think yeah, you're right. So I would ask you a question, though, Stephen. What, yeah. what, how do you see the difference then between personal and corporate? I believe personal will precede corporate. 
I believe because the church is made up of individual Christians, there must be a personal refreshing in order to see a local church experience a refreshing because churches are made up of people. Certainly. Churches aren't that. buildings. So and what is so, it that a corporate experience? Uh, well, I believe, uh, I believe he answered that pretty well. I, th- I think that those three things could be then overlaid onto the group of people as a whole and to say there needs to be an honest, there needs to be a spirit of honesty, not just with one person, but as the church as a whole, you know, um, I was kind of speaking to the fact of like, was there anything maybe that it was kind of a secondary question actually of more of how do you know that maybe you're experiencing a refreshing or a reviving in your local church. And that was kind of where I was headed with that question. But, um, I think you spoke to those three principles that you gave would apply to both personal and corporate. Um, because I believe if enough personal revival happens in a local church, you will have a corporate revival. Um, yeah, I just I look at those as kind of one and the same, maybe because I look I mean, at it as yeah, but corporate if, experience is birthed out of maybe individual it experience. Is birthed out of, it is birthed out of it, but if Morgan experiences a refreshing and nobody else experiences it in the church she's in, the church is probably still going to have some deadness going on. And it doesn't invalidate somebody's personal experience if the mm-hmm. rest don't. But I, I think I would agree and, and less of one in the same, but more like an overflow. I mean, yeah. if we're all united by the same spirit and individuals are seeking out personal revival within the same local body, then eventually you're going to start telling other people about it within your body. They're like, hey, I'm experiencing the same thing. And you all are seeking it out together. And then before you know it, prayerfully like that would be exactly. the end game you know it's, it's like, like a, a multiplication snowball. almost yeah. exactly it's like a snowball and it just gains momentum mm-hmm. um but i believe that that starts with individuals and um individuals being willing to be honest humble and hungering after god so i have a comment so there are levels of revival uh individual revival personal revival if nobody else gets revived i can if nobody else wants to be revived you can so there's personal revival, then there's interpersonal revival. I personally believe there's revival going on in every church on some level that, that is a Bible church. Sure. Uh, and and, and there's interpersonal. So interpersonal revival is when several people, a group of people within a church body are experiencing new life from God, new breath from God. Then there's corporate revival when the majority of a given church body experiences this breath of God. That's what we want to see. Then there's regional revival, where historically in America, we do have a revival heritage to where God has poured out his spirit in the Great Awakening, one and two, mm-hmm. and other 1904 different times when the spirit of God has visited this country in a widespread way. So there's regional or national revival in, in some places historically. And, and you know, in America, we do have, we're unique in that we do have a revival heritage. So, yeah, there's levels of revival, and, and uh, of course, we would like to see the big blowout, uh, but in the meantime, hey, I can be revived. You can be revived. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. So let's talk a little bit here as we think about then the kind of the ingredients for, for revival. I think really threefold. One, the, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and then kind of a holy life. And you could think about it as, you know, the Holy Spirit the Holy Word of God and, and a holy life. So if, if we think about, you know, the Word of God, you know, Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is living and active. So there's there's already something there in God's Word that when God's Word is preached and taught, I mean, it goes back to what you were talking about, like the spiritual illiteracy or maybe even more so a distortion of biblical truth um, kind of led to some of the state of the church where we're in today, right? Would you... Did, well, I, did I understand that right? Like, well, I, I think so. I think, um, I think, um, 
if the pulpit is not on fire, the pew will never be on fire. Sure. Mm-hmm. And and again, I know people are afraid of uh, the cerebral crowd is afraid of all emotion, and the emotional crowd is afraid of anything that doesn't give them goosebumps. But it's not one or the other. It's heat and life. It's grace and truth. And and of course, the doctrinal uh, demise has uh, led us off into a, into a bad way here. So, but 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 again, there can be this this reanimation. This uh, resurrection, this reviving, this life again, again coming in, into the people of God, and you know, when in the seventies the wind of God was blowing around the world in different places, and certainly here in the United States, it was incredible. Uh, there was something going on, and and I'm telling you, churches were starting. Uh, the people didn't have any money, they didn't have any buildings, they didn't have any facilities, they had no knowledge. But I'll tell you one thing: we had a lot of zeal. And hundreds, thousands of churches were planted. The Canadian Revival happened mm-hmm. uh, in the early 70s. It began. Asbury College uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky, they went to chapel 8.30 Monday morning. Eight days later, they were still having a chapel round the clock for eight days. I mean, it was an outpouring. You had the West Coast with um, some of the hippies uh, getting converted. And uh, that was a move toward holiness. I mean, they, they put away their dope and quit drinking and fornicating and uh I mean, I mean, they, God did something. A, sure, lot, a lot of people a gospel. Got, got a lot of people got saved. So you got right. the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and listen, and the soil of the soil is the third of, fact of the person's heart. Yeah, right. Our, our hearts. Yeah, yeah, our hearts. So mm-hmm. let's let's camp a little bit though on the on the Spirit because I think there's probably a tendency that maybe I would just back up and say this probably as you look out on the broad church once again, and I don't think it's fair to broad brush everything, but to think about often it seems like the church has replaced the place of the Holy Spirit uh, with trying to create an atmosphere uh, of something else. Uh, I found it interesting. Lifeway did a research uh, a while back and 50 50, over 50% of the people that they polled believe that the Holy Spirit was a force rather than a person. And I think that's part of the theology that's made its way into the church in America today is a really poorly defined theology of what it means to live a spirit-filled life. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus tells us in the upper room when he was talking to his disciples, he says, he says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Mm-hmm. And I think about uh, what J.D. Greer often says. He says, the spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that the, the church today has has failed to really understand uh, not only the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but what it means to live a spirit-filled life. Could you, could you speak to that a little bit? To the spirit-filled life? Yeah. Well, yeah, to be um, filled with the Spirit is to be under the influence of God's Spirit, that is resident within our hearts. So you you alluded to the manufacturing, attempting to manufacture atmosphere and give people emotional props to mimic the presence of God. Well, you don't need that with when you have the presence of God. Right. Right. So I get in trouble all the time, but you don't need, <laughs> you, you, you don't need smoke machines when you have holy fire in the pulpit of God. Certainly, okay, certainly. So you don't need to do this. I went to a church the other day where the lights were flashing all around, it looked like a runway, and, <laughs> and smoke was issuing out, and the guy had to sit down and take a swig of water, as if all of this is going to relate to people. But I'm just telling you, uh, the people they were trying to reach were not engaged in what was going 
on. There was nothing. There was nothing. Nothing there of eternity. It was. It was a humanistic, emotional manipulation. I believe an attempt to manipulate and manufacture some atmosphere that resembles the presence of God. So what we need is to be filled with the Spirit of God, right? Right. And right. and to live under the influence. Right. If you're drunk driving, it's driving under the influence. If you're spirit-filled, you're living under the influence, and that's what revival is all about, is to be under the control of the Spirit of God uh, moment by moment. And, and to do that, you've got to keep your repentance constant, you know? And this is why church it, it is to help us in, in this growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, because how much of the New Testament is corrective? Mm, right. And what are there any warnings in the New Testament Scripture? And how often or how seldom do we ever hear a warning message in most churches or a, yeah. corre- or a corrective message? Yeah. And everybody wants to talk about what the other church down the road is doing wrong. Well, what about well, what are we doing? You know, you, you know what I'm saying? To bring this thing closer to home, to, mm-hmm. there is a time for evaluation. And, and I don't believe in morbid introspection. I do believe in Holy Spirit inspection. We, no, certainly. Because when I look at the book, uh, the, the New Testament, and I think about, you know, the early church there in the book of Acts, and oftentimes when we think about revival, everybody wants to go to the book of Acts and see what was happening. But I, I would honestly say that what was happening in the early church in Acts was really an awakening, right? People were coming to faith in Christ. There was this new life in the church. When I think about revival, I think about in Revelation where, where Jesus comes to the <laughs> – seven churches and like you're saying harold the word to at least five of them was to repent right so that there was that need for the church to be revived and Mm -hmm. um and it all comes back it all centers on the spirit-filled life i mean what's interesting is in revelation uh, seven times jesus's statement to the church every one of them says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says and so it's like in the midst of churches that had grown cold and were in need of spiritual revival, you know, even Jesus in his confront in in confronting the church in that word of warning comes back to rooting everything in in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you on that. Um, so kind of, I think you mentioned this earlier and, um, I just want to make sure that this is what I heard. Um, would you define revival as actually when it comes to like a refreshing for the Christian, would this not be more of a, just a return to normal, uh, to return to normalcy? Cause like, I think of passages like Galatians five, for instance, where like Paul writes to the Galatians and he does correct them <laughs> on some things and he speaks to some things. And then at the very end, he says, hey, if you do not want to fulfill the lust of the flesh, what do you need to do? You need to walk in the influence of the spirit. And if the spirit brings revival and refreshing and he is calling them back to a normalcy, is revival then returning to a normal Christian life, the Christian life that we were always supposed to be living? Well, yeah, because things de- deteriorate, right? Uh, is devolution, uh, and not evolution. In other words, things are devolving, things are breaking down, and that's true physically in the body. That's true in the spiritual life. You have high times, you have seasons. I believe we all go through seasons, uh, corporately and personally. There are seasons of growth and vitality in life, and then there's trial and tribulations and, you know, all of these kind of things working together. So uh, I, I think, yeah, revival is, is normal. New, New Testament Christianity is spirit is to be filled with the, the Holy Ghost, as the King James Version says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that is 
a state of living in the very life of God and the presence of God, the realization that God right. is with us. And, 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 you know, this God consciousness, it, is, it, it eludes us. It does me sometimes and it escapes me. Mm-hmm. And I hate to admit how much, but, but this awareness of the presence of God. One man said the revival is just an awareness of the presence of God. Mm. And when you have this awareness that good night, I'm in the presence of Almighty God, you know, this is not the time for jokes and and uh, f- f- flippancy and uh, frivolousness. No, this is the time. Good night, I'm in the presence of God here. And and then when we begin to see uh, ourselves and things in, in light of eternity, they look a whole lot different, you know. And if you have no sense of God and 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 no manifestation of the of the presence of God, then uh, the world is all we got, right? Mm. This is all we've got, and it's mm. all temporary and it's fading and it's. Uh, it's futile and it's discouraging, is it not? And we sit around watching all the suffering and people getting sick and all this kind of stuff. That's why there's got to be these seasons of uh, reanimation, uh, coming back to the, the normal Christian life, right. which is to Christ in you or to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And experience yeah. that renewal. Yeah. I, I mean, because I, I, I think about Book of Acts. Every time we think about revival, it's always the word of repentance. You know, Acts 3, repent, therefore, and turn back, Peter said, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of, of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So, you know, the, the, the spirit of revival is a spirit of renewal, but it's, it's renewing and coming back to walking the spirit-filled life, as Paul talked about in Ephesians, uh, the way that we should be walking and living all along. Yeah, revival is recovery. Right. So it's recovery, probably, of some neglected doctrine. Mm. And the experience of that doctrine. That's good. So here you have justification by faith. That came in, and wow, and the people got born again, you know, consequently. Then the the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, which, you know, that's taken all kinds of turns through the years, but— there was pretty much a silence about the of the Spirit of God. And people would talk about the third person of the Trinity as if he was bringing up the rear, as if he was a lesser person. No, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal, mm-hmm. equal. And I know there's... Uh, no, but that's, that's, that's helpful to think about because I even think about like the Reformation and even that would have been like a renewal back to... Justification. Justification. No, or, sa- or, or, no, no sanctification. Or even the truth of God's word. I mean, yes. the Bible being, you know, taught and, and proclaimed. I mean, so that's a good way to think about it. Morgan, what were you going to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one reason why we, we see, you know, there, especially today, there's not so much um, revival or even the spirit of hunger is because I think we've forgotten how to, as, as the scripture says in Revelation, to hear what the spirit is saying because we don't know what he sounds like. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're listening to all these different voices, the, the just the massive amounts of media that we consume and um, just personally, yeah, that lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit as a perfectly equal person of the Trinity and not, not like the team manager bringing up, you know, the water bottles to refresh the main, the main players, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like ever, it's almost like as Christians, we have our earbuds in, Um, you know, like working with students, they always come and they'll come in the room and generally they're coming out of the car and they just got done with school and they'll come to youth group on Wednesdays. And generally, like, they'll roll in and they always have an earbud in or two earbuds in. And you'll be like, hey, what's up? You know, and they'll be like, huh? You know, and they'll like just look at you, you know, and you're like, dude, take your earbuds out. I'm talking to you, you know. (laughs) And um, in in a sense, I think, like, as Christians, that's what we've done. We've put our earbuds in and we're like, no, I'm going to listen to what I want to listen to. And we've listened to it for so long that 
we we can't hear the voice of God if we, <laughs> we were just like what what does that even sound like you know because yeah, we're, we we're unwilling to take yeah. our earbuds out and say you know what I'm going to be still and know I'm going to be still and know that God is who He said He is I'm going to listen to the voice of God I'm going to seek the face of God you know you know when the Lord wanted to get a message to the churches in Revelation two and three who did He address? The angels. Hmm. Who were the angels? Messengers. Who were the messengers? Leaders, pastors. God spoke to the pastors of the church, gave them a message to deliver to the people. Right. So I think that to be so subjective that, and again, we're all in contact with God. We believe in the in the priesthood of the believer. We believe in this very strongly. Mm-hmm. But God seemed to have a a word of repentance addressed to the pastors in each minor, and he put it to them in an ultimatum, repent or else. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the, the consequences were severe. So if you look at the Middle East today where those churches were, there is no gospel witness. Mm-hmm. So which just leads to the fact that there is no such thing as eternal security for a local church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they may have a, had the life of God at one time, but then they go off into all of this stuff and deteriorate and become anti-Christian. And, then, and I believe half of the churches in America are anti-Christian because they are against God's moral standard, God's moral code, and all the rest of it. And right. they they're they're pushing the wrong way. I really think there needs to be some discernment and some explanation and some prophesying to the fact that uh, all the gold glitters is not gold and all the claims to be Christian is not. And, and you, you know, you really shouldn't pay any attention to a person's uh, doctrinal statement. Look at what they do. Watch because, their life. Because right. what, what we do is right. what we really believe. Right. No, because we've been talking about the book of Jude. We've brought that up a number of times. And, and you know, I find that interesting. And even in Jude's letter, like he, he rebukes the false teachers but he doesn't correct them like you're saying on their statement of faith. He corrects them on their lifestyle by the way that they were living. So let me, let's kind of shift gears here just a second. And, you know, I think when we look at the whole counsel of God and we think about the way, you know, we keep coming back to the fact that revival uh, involves repentance. It involves turning back to God and it's a work of the spirit of God uh, through the word of God and the life of a person and receiving that with good soil. And yet there is a difference, though, in the way that the Spirit of God operated in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God coming upon people and this this outpouring of the Spirit. And then in the New Testament, it's completely different because the Spirit of God now indwells people and you see the manifestation of the Spirit from within uh, a changed life. So my question then, as we kind of segue a little bit here, is – I guess, once again, I just come back to the thought of the word revival, because I think there's there seems to be such a misunderstanding in the church today of what revival is. And I think we've seen such an abuse of the word or experiences that people have claimed to have a revival. And then or they'll you know, I even think of Southern culture, like you're saying, well, we're, we're having revival meetings, you know, well, did, was there any reviving that, that happened? You know, that's a question to ask. So my question would be, how does a person know? that they've experienced revival. And and I think we can know that because oh, I think going back to what Stephen was saying, that, that twofold thing, how do we know that we've, we've experienced revival personally? But then secondly, how do you know that you've been in a place where there has been such a manifestation of the Spirit of God in a corporate setting that you could point to that and say, well, that was a real reviving work? 
Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones said the prayer for revival is ultimately a prayer based upon a concern for the manifestation of the glory of God. Hmm. So when we're praying for revival, we're praying for God to take the field. Uh, Raven Hill said that revival is when God gets so tired of being misrepresented, he just takes the field personally <laughs> and reclaims his glory. Hmm. So I think on the personal level, uh, I know I've been revived when I've been morally changed. Yeah. Okay. And it's not just an emotional thing. It's not just a high-powered evangelist imported. It's not a special week of meetings. It's not a lot, of, a large number of professions of faith. But there's this, this moral transformation that comes from the inside out, and you sense a, a cleanness in the presence of God, and, and, and the world looks different. I remember when I hmm. heard the gospel, I came out of church one day. Good night, man. The sky was bluer and the grass was greener. It really was. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and my, my sensibilities were you know, just magnified. And wow. And I think in revival, you know you're revived when, uh, when God has led you to repentance because it's the goodness of God. That's good. That's that good. leads us to repent. No, that's and, good. And that's a, not a one-time shot. I, I think that repentance is an initial turning, which has lifelong implications. So the way you know that you're, you have repented is that you still are. Walking in the, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way you know you're, you're revived is you're still turning back to the Lord because we turn away and go in the wrong direction. Hmm. Uh, most uh, a lot of times, hey. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so there's there's grace going on here. I, I, I'm saying there's grace going on here to bring us back uh, to, to the right position and right place. That's yeah, good. that makes me think of. I don't know if any of you guys have seen The Chosen, but it's a really, no. really, really popular series right now, and I highly recommend it um, to our listeners. But it makes me think of uh, an episode where, um, let's see, who was it? Oh my gosh, it's the priest. Um, <laughs> The guy um, who goes to see Jesus at night. What's his name? Nicodemus. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. How terrible. Okay, so Nicodemus sees Mary Magdalene for the first time since she's been healed of her demons and she's following Christ. And that, just the repentance and the total change, it makes me think of this line that she said in the show. She said, I don't really know what happened except I was one way and now I'm completely different and the only difference was him. And so that, like, it's been just ringing in my head for weeks and weeks since I've seen that episode. Obviously, Nicodemus's name didn't stick, but <laughs> but this line did. Um, and it's just, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's that, that change. You're, you're echoing different. the change. That, yeah. that, and it, it is what Paul, I mean, I think when I think about reviving, I think about Ephesians and all Paul's talking about with walking in a new life and experiencing that life change. So then, though, then, Harold, what, what does it look like then in a corporate setting for people to say that they know that they have experienced a true revival. Because, okay, let me ask you, because you pointed I, on the podcast, you've pointed to some dates. You've pointed to early 1900s. You pointed to the first and second great awakening. So you've pointed to things that you you're pointing to. And I think others would agree with and say, Hey, those were true moves of God over a broad spectrum of people and, and places. So how, I mean, cause even in some of your travels and some of your experiences, could you speak to, you know, some places where you have been where corporately there was that? Yes. Yeah. Nin- 1981, uh, my wife and I, we had no children, and we showed up at a little uh, church in Maine, Knox Ridge, Maine, a little white clabbered kind of church and beside a cow pasture. And I said to my wife, I said, what have we gotten into this time? <laughs> and little did we know we had gotten into a revival-ready church. Uh, the pastor had been there for 18 months. Uh, 
New England people are not emotional, and they don't make uh, flippant decisions. Uh, so he he had preached to them and prepared them, and they were revival ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things happened. We showed up. He had had um, eight public decisions in 18 months. The first morning we were there, we had 40 uh, people Whoa. respond, which this does not happen in New England. Uh, we would come to church at night. This was incredible. Uh, we'd come to church at night, and uh, we would sing choruses, and then we would have 24-hour testimonies, which means nothing over 24 hours old. We don't want to hear what happened 50 years ago. What happened today? And people would come with the most unusual, incredible uh, testimonies. Then there was preaching, and then we had a prayer room. We didn't have an altar call. We had a prayer room where people would go and kneel and pray until they got through to God. Some stayed for three and a half hours. Okay, that was, I think, the big, the longest one. And, and, and prayer partners were with them, not counselors, prayer partners. And when they finished praying, they would say, how did God meet your need? And they would talk about what had happened, and they would help them crystallize what God was saying to their hearts. So after that, we had an afterglow. After the prayer, uh, prayer, uh, prayer room, we had an afterglow where anybody that was revived and wanted to come could come, and sometimes the whole church would come, and we would sit there to 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, I remember sometimes 3 o'clock in the morning. It was incredible. Mm. Uh, the things, the victory, people who had been molested got set free, and what they said wouldn't have been appropriate in an unrevived setting on Sunday morning, but it was totally appropriate in a revived uh, interpersonal revival going on there. Mm. So by, by Tuesday night, we had people coming in from 200 miles away. Wow. wow. And they, their friends were calling them, and they couldn't believe it was their friend. Man, what in the world? And they would hear what they were saying, and they'd show up. And it's like the Spirit of God would fall on them uh, before they got out of the parking lot or out of the car hardly. I mean, it was just phenomenal. So I said to, uh, I said to myself, I said, uh, we've never seen it on this wise. Mm-hmm. I says, uh, mm-hmm. what's different about this? And I asked the pastor. He said that before we came, uh, that went on for 15 days. And by the way, revival does not cure all the problems. Revival reveals lots of problems, mm-hmm. and revival causes some problems with the underworld. Okay, so to think that revival is going to fix every problem, no, that's not the purpose of revival. It's the life of God. And when Jesus was on the earth, the devil showed up everywhere he did. You ever notice mm-hmm. how the demons mm-hmm. always showed up where he was? Right. And when God shows up in revival, Guess who shows up? The, the enemy and his team will show up. But I, I asked the pastor, I said, what did y'all do? I mean, what is different? He said, well, before you came, he says, uh, we had a deacon who had run all the pastors off for 30 years. And um, he said, we confronted. He was a turf shepherd, a turf shepherd. He wasn't a pastor, but he thought he was. And there's control groups in every church, which have to be confronted if anything's going to happen. So they went to this man who was sowing division and called on him to repent. He said, we're not going to repent. He said, I'm not going to repent. They said, well, if you don't repent, we're going to have to obey Matthew chapter 18, the church discipline measures. And they brought it before the church. Not easy, very difficult, very hard. They did that. And uh, he still didn't repent, so they had to shun him. This is Matthew chapter 18. There's supposed to be discipline in the house of God, accountability, and spiritual authority brought, brought to bear on on erring church members, right? Hmm. Well, it was hard. I mean, this like really hard, but they did it. And they did a few other things, which in my mind's eye, if they had not obeyed 
uh, the, the Word of God and the direction, directives of the Holy Spirit, nothing mm. would have happened when we got there. Mm. So that, that was this, this, this groundwork that went into it. In 1981, we saw f- what I would say to be five real revivals in mm. local churches. I'm not talking about the whole country. I'm just talking sure. about uh, congreg- uh, corporate. Uh, we, we, I believe we saw five corporate revivals, uh, all of them without exception. Uh, they were big on testimonies. People were sharing what God was doing in their heart. We were praying with 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 abandon. I mean, no holes barred, telling God the truth. I mean, I remember one prayer meeting up in Maine I was in, and we were having noonday prayer meetings in a um, paper mill town. 40, 50, 60 people would come and pray and fast. Well, this guy over in the corner, he looked to be about 35, and he's, he was over there praying. He said, oh, God, he said, oh, God, I'm willing to do anything to get right with you, God, even if I have to go to jail. Well, good night. I mean, he was, he was not talking to impress us. He was talking to God from the bottom of his heart. Yeah. And it was that kind of reality therapy, reality praying going on, uh, where everybody just came clean because we're all in the same boat. We're all failures, just like the disciples. Every one of them in the upper room had forsaken the Lord and had failed God. So it was this kind of a freedom mm-hmm. to be honest, to be open. And, by, and i got to say this, because I don't know how long this is going to last. But in revival, you have openness, brokenness, oneness. Openness is a willingness to know the truth about ourselves. Openness is a willingness to let other people know we like know us as we really are. And openness is a willingness to accept other people as they are. So if there's no openness, in other words, no honesty, there will be no brokenness. And if there's no brokenness, there will be no oneness. And if there's no oneness, there's no revival. So so it's it's openness. Bro- leads to brokenness, leads to oneness, and when we're in this state corporately, we're in a state of revival because God is pleased to, you know, come and dwell among us, and and there's anointing and power. That's great. That's good. That's good. So as we kind of start to wrap up here, we generally always do what we call um, we call them in the podcasting. We call them takeaways whenever we put them in our notes, um, but I thought it would be really good here during the takeaway section. If you could kind of go through, um, you you do this talk generally on things that need to be added, subtracted, and changed in our life. And I think that that would be a great takeaway for individuals to really consider in their lives where and take stock. Where is my spirit? What's my spiritual temperature? You know, mm-hmm. and um, where am I at in my relationship with the Lord? And then um, Morgan and Aaron, you all can give your um, closing thoughts. But um, could you maybe walk us through that? Uh, what do I need to add? What do I need to subtract? What do I need to change? Kind of methodology. Yeah, this comes out of the. Uh the book, uh, Approaching God's Throne, Biblical Protocols for Prayer. And one of the protocols is what I call the teachability protocol. Mm. Because Jesus said, learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart. And so there's teachability, learn of me. And and that's an admission. I don't know everything that I need to know. There's a humility here, but there's a teachability uh, to be willing to be taught by God. Hmm. So I personally believe that every Christian, every pastor, every ministry, every church, every evangelist should ask these questions. Number one, uh, and ask it to the Lord. Lord, what should I subtract? What am I doing that's unfruitful? What am I doing that's ineffective? 
if the cow's not giving milk, kill it and have a barbecue. <laughs> In other words, quit quit per- perpetrating for the sake of memorials uh, things that are that are fruitless and and and, uh, and not doing anything. So, but to, to, to pose that question to God, Lord, what would you have me to subtract? And then listen, and then implement on the spot. Question number two, Lord, what would you have me add? Hmm. Okay, Lord, what am I neglecting? What am I? What are my blind spots? What am I not? What am I missing? What am I not seeing? Lord, what would you have me add? I think personally, family-wise, ministry-wise, church-wise, I think there's application every which way. That's okay. good. That's so, good. Lord, what would you have me add? But here's the third one. And, and, and listen. I mean, when you ask, be quiet and listen, and and God will impress you, and then implement, and then third, Lord, what should I change? Lord, what should I change? Hmm. Listen implement accordingly because i think uh what we're trying to do is perpetuate stuff that once had life but it doesn't now and this culture is so different and i'm not for gearing everything to the culture but i'll tell you one thing we better be speaking in language that people can understand jesus did that right and and lord what should i change And, and and i believe that instead of being rigid and static and fixed on every preference and whew, this straitjacket of tradition and all this kind of stuff, uh, we need to get vulnerable and teachable enough to humble ourselves and ask God what to change. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, that's so good. Like I, I always love a really good practical takeaway. I'm a, I'm a person that like I need the rubber to meet the road. Um, so mine, I mean, mine today is really simple. Uh, even talking in this discussion, the Lord's just been reminding me of some things and um, he just keeps bringing up this verse that I was reading this morning in Hebrews 11. Um, Hebrews eleven six says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. And so um, with all this you know, understanding and knowledge of revival that we've just gone through and um, knowing that, you know, like taking your own spiritual temperature, but also like have the faith if you if you want to experience revival and have that humility, hunger, and honesty, when you draw near to the Lord, He promises that He will draw near to you. Um, and that's just, like, I think that's the, uh, the base point I think where a lot of us need to come to is just drawing near to God again and mm, believing yeah. that He's mm. going to be there to meet us. Yeah. I know in my life, anytime that I've experienced a personal refreshing, restoring, return to normalcy, however you want to... Uh, whichever one of those definitions that we've put out today that you want to use, um, generally it's never comfortable or fun at the very beginning. Uh, <laughs> and I know that that sounds probably anti what many people actually would speak in our culture. They would say, oh man, you know, like to get in an atmosphere like that, that's great, that's fun. And it is. If you are truly locked in and walking in the spirit, it is. But if you've been away from the Lord, I can tell you right now, there's going to be some uncomfortable things that you have to do in order to restore um, that relationship sometimes. Just think of David in Psalm 51. Um, He kills a friend. He steals the friend's wife. Um, There's probably some uncomfortable conversations that David had to have in order to restore some relationships in his kingdom. There was probably some really uncomfortable things he had to do just to even face the people, just to show his face in his kingdom. 
So in order to have that restoration process, I would encourage you, don't let the uncomfortableness or the difficulty at the very beginning turn you away. Instead, know that, that there might be a time where that is, but the joy of your salvation will be restored. That's what David prayed for, and God will restore that joy of your salvation when you return to that close walk with him that he's called us to walk in. That's great. And I appreciate Harold being here on the podcast with us today. Harold, you've given us a lot of great things to think through. And I I think for me personally, it's helping understand even my own understanding of what revival is. That as we've talked today, that revival is not primarily a source or a force from the outside that I'm looking to happen in the church today. But going back to what we've talked about, that revival comes through repentance and faith and and being obedient to the Spirit of God. And so if if I'm looking to something outside rather than if I'm first and foremost experiencing a change from the inside out, living, uh, walking in repentance and living in obedience to the Spirit of God, then then that's a great recipe uh, to seek and to experience revival. Yes, revi- personal revival is not prayed down. It springs up. That's good. And the rivers of living water uh, come from within. So I got a quick illustration. In the old days when they had a, a, a creekside flour mill, okay, so the water is channeled through a, 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 a viaducts or whatever to turn, to, to pour into the wheels of the uh, a water wheel. And the, and the force of the water would turn the water wheel, right? Mm. And the water wheel as it turned, would turn the gears, which would turn the stones, which would crush the grain. So if in the middle of the day, uh, everything shut down and, and no flour was being ground in the mill and the stones had quit turning and quit grinding, what would he do? He, he wouldn't call his uh, workers to try to turn the thing with their own strength. He would go outside and find out what was blocking the flow of water. Mm-hmm. That was a whole. What was the, the the blockage, the trash that was holding up the flow of water into the water wheel? And they would expend their energy by getting the trash and the blockage out of the out of the channel, so the water could flow again, which could turn the wheel, which could turn the gears, which could turn the stones. So, uh, personal revival is not something we need to beg God for or pray God for. Just get the the blockage out of the way so that you know the 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 rivers of living water spring up from within that's what Mm -hmm. we're talking about here we're not talking about something that's being uh, foist upon us from some outside stimuli right no 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 there's this this life of god uh unleashed and like Vance Hamner said, we need to, we've been holding revivals for years. He said we need to quit holding it and let it go. In, in, in other words, get right. the, the mess out of the way so the Spirit of God can come in force and flow out from us as rivers of living water. Amen. Amen. That's great. Wonderful. And uh, thank you guys for being with us today on the podcast. Well, thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything that we've talked about today that you'd like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, You can find us on our social media page by simply searching Where We Land. You can also find us online at whereweland.org. And if anything we've talked about today with Harold Vaughn has uh, really encouraged you to want to seek out more uh, on this topic of revival, I'd encourage you to go seek out uh, Harold's website, ChristLifeMen.org. Well, listen, we'll, we'll... We're looking forward to joining you next time uh, on the podcast as we kick off season four. We'll see you then.